This is episode nine of a podcast without a name. that's right episode nine and you would not believe this but everyone is here yes we are all here right now the band is back in town (laughs) and uh you know it's kind of weird i don't i don't know what to do i mean we were supposed to be all together with the last one but rich was sleeping because he needed his beauty sleep he joined us later, though. He joined us over the phone. So yeah. much beauty. <laughs> so He's much in a very beauty. singing music. Maybe he was uh, drinking some of that white wine again today. Oh. No Never. white wine. No white YOLO. Wine. YOLO. So we're, uh, you know, we're live on Facebook. So hello, Facebook. And we're also live on YouTube. Hello, YouTube. What's up, everybody? It feels good to be on the airwaves. I don't know if there's anyone going to be listening to us, but. We'll try. <laughs> two out of three listeners agree that two out of three listeners may be listening. Two out of three listeners may be listening. This is true. Figure out the math. So anyway, lots of talk Anyways, about today. Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh, probably going to be one of our most interesting podcasts considering what went on uh, early, early this morning, Syrian time, later in the evening, yesterday, Eastern time. Uh, the United States took unilateral action and struck a Syrian regime airfield in Syria uh, with 59 cruise missiles from, off the, in the, from uh, warships on the Mediterranean Sea. And this was something that uh, I think a lot of people didn't think uh, Trump had it in him. Um, it, you know, it's kind of mixed reviews politically. Internationally, it's actually... The usual suspects are condemning it, and the usual suspects are praising it. <laughs> uh, meaning, like the UK right, yeah. and our yeah. European allies are, you know, this is great. You know, you're doing humanitarian work in <laughs> kind of <laughs> through through uh, retaliating yeah. for a chemical weapons attack. Uh, I, I guess we didn't say that the strike was in retaliation of the chemical wep- weapons attack on, on a on a Syrian city, or I think it was Idlib province in Syria. Uh, and I think 80 people or so were killed among them, many women and children. And apparently yeah, third party awful pictures. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. some awful pictures floating around in social media and, and just, uh, it was a horrific, horrific thing to, to look at. And I mean, I guess when you look at it on a, you know, humanitarian retaliate retaliation type of standpoint, um, you know, it, it seems like it was a good idea, but you have a lot of people talking about the uh, hypocrisy in Trump uh, not wanting to, you know, go forward with any type of, type of like strikes like this in the past. And suddenly, you know, now he chooses to. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, different theories as to why. I mean, amongst, you know, people on Facebook, really. But, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you know, as far as uh, why, why now um, was this to, you know, prove to people that he's not in bed with uh, with Russia, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there's there's lots to talk about and lots lots to uh, take feedback from. Hopefully, if some fee- uh, Facebook listeners are, are willing to give us some feedback. 
Well, you know, you know what I'm seeing a lot of now, which is a little bit weird, but maybe maybe not that weird. Is uh, there's a lot of uh, like truthers, like uh, there used to be for 9/11. You know, there's a lot of now uh, truthers, and uh, they're mostly coming from. I mean, from my personal experience, um, from people that are more left leaning. They're saying, like, uh, there's more to this than meets the eye. Like, we have to look at what, what happened. Like, did the white helmets make this happen kind of a thing? Um, it's, a, it's a strange, strange thing. Like, the, the non-interventionalist um, Republicans now are uh, seem to be saying, you know, yeah, that's great. And, and uh, you know, a lot of the Democrats are saying that's great. And then there's this weird little sect of the Democrats are saying that it's not great. Um, I don't know. I, I just it, see a lot of hypocrisy in this. Some some of the conversations that I've had with people over the course of today um, have really dealt with, you know, of course, the, the anti-Trump portion of this, which is, you know, always going to be a situation anytime anything makes headlines. Right. Um, but. You know, a lot of it was bashing Trump, making this more of an egotistical move um, or a hypocritical move or, you know, a not very well thought out move. Um, and then it comes out on, on CNN, out of all places, that, you know, Hillary Clinton um, was basically uh, talking about these attacks need to happen just hours before uh, we retaliated. So um, that seemed to suddenly change the judgment of a lot of uh, the more left-leaning people that I've spoken to today. And this, this isn't a generalization. This is just, you know, strictly on the maybe nine or 10 people that I've talked to about this today. And uh, I thought that was interesting uh, to see, you know, maybe that, not really that there's a justification or uh, it makes it any easier to swallow, but the fact that two um, completely different parties, um, completely on different sides of the political spectrum in, in terms of their status with us, with civilian, right, um, seem to agree on on something and, and agree on this action. And now seeing how the very left-leaning and very right-leaning people are all of a sudden some of them are starting to actually agree with the motion and i just thought it was an interesting dynamic that was happening uh, during the course of today there's still plenty of people that are very outspoken about how bad of an idea this was but i've seen that begin to diminish i'd, I'd almost say that you know more than two-thirds of my feed was more positive uh per the 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 attacks that that the united states uh put on Syria um, than not, which was flip-flopped from last night when this first started happening. So, well, uh, you, know what I, you, you know what I thought was a little weird? Um, you know, Rand Paul's like very anti-war, anti, you know, U.S. intervention and things that don't, you know, affect our national security. And uh, I agree with him. I mean, you know, the, the gas attacks, you see it on TV, that's a terrible thing to see. Maybe I guess we had to do something, but um, all of a sudden, all these people that are so democratically leaning are all, all of a sudden, you know, non-interventionists. And it's a little weird because Rand Paul, Ron Paul, you know, that can, you know, those two people have always said, you know, we have no business meddling in other people's affairs. But, um, you know, when they say it, it's wrong. But now that somebody they don't like is doing it, you know, it's wrong again, but 
you know, but we, when Rand know, Paul or Ron Paul says it, they're assholes. Oh, they don't they don't know what, what's going gonna, on there. We're gonna see a lot of different uh feedback from the public, I think. And and a lot of it could be um from just you know, their biased view. Um a lot of it could be from, you know, some ignorance as to what really was going on. But one I don't want to call anybody out, but one comment that I was uh reading that was in a conversation I was having on Facebook was um, I don't get it. He didn't care when schools and hospitals were being bombed in broad daylight, but he cares about some spewed gas. I don't think people really realize what this gas is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it's, you know, it, it's it, it, the, the, the torturous effects that this has on people. I mean, I'd venture to say that I think I'd rather be blown to bits, uh, than have to endure that. So, um, you know, I think there's there's a little bit of, you know, I don't know, I, I guess maybe it, it doesn't seem as awful as a thing to certain people because they don't quite understand the nature of, you know, the attacks that were happening um, and why we needed to retaliate. Uh, maybe they don't understand how chemical warfare could uh, be a, a, a major you know player in international affairs. Well, the way uh, the way that you have to look at it is uh, they're using a banned chemical weapon. Mm-hmm. And the United States is, I mean, even though I don't want them to be, they're supposed to be like the police of the world, pretty much. Well, now, and, and Joe, am I wrong? This is strike two, right? I mean, this is the second time they've done something similar. Yeah, with a, with this a is the second. Year, so, yeah, I believe it was, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago, there was the red line that uh, Obama had arbitrarily created and then they they had crossed it and then, and then he kind of balked on it and and went to Russia and Russia promised that Syria would, you know, get rid of their chemical and biological weapons. And they assured us that. And of course, you know, here we are. They didn't. <laughs> I mean, this, well, you know, I, and I, I think that is part of due diligence, right? I mean, you, you want to have, and, and maybe I, I'm in the minority here, but, you know, having those talks, you know, and doing, handling it the way Obama handled it may have been the right course of action at the time. And this is, more of a cumulative response, um, you know, rather so, than just. I mean, a, it, it a, kind a of, it kind of is, response. but you you can't sit here and you like I, I know how I, I I can predict how this, a lot of uh, Republicans and conservatives are going to spin this and and uh, you know I brought this up. Uh, I was talking to my wife about this last night, and I brought up Obama and what he did. And she's like, "Well, why keep talking about the last administration? That gets old, right?" And and I completely agree with that. I, I'm one hundred percent. Like I think it's completely lazy for you know politicians to keep keep referencing old uh, political parties that were in power and try to blame things on them. But in this situation, you ha- almost have to talk about the history with the chemical weapon usage in Syria. And I I don't know if there's any other way of going about this, but. I'm try. I know that maybe I'm. You know, I wasn't a huge Barack Obama fan, and I, I maybe I'm just trying to find a reason to say something bad about him. I don't know, but I can't help but think that it's like when he said there's a red line. He he wasn't. He said there will be consequences, and he didn't. He didn't say mm-hmm. if you cross this red line, I'm going to engage in talks with Russia. He said we will take action if you use chemical weapons. Cause up until that point, there was, I think either a threat or there was a, they had chemical weapons that they were moving around and international community, you know, saw that they were doing it. And so there was a clear like uh, indication that they might be ready to deploy them. 
So we came out and, and, you know, rightfully so warned them and said, don't cross it. And they crossed it. And we just go, yeah, but we just, you know, it's okay this time, you know, just talk to Russia, you know, just, just, just promise us you won't do, you know, excuse me, dictator. Can you please promise me you won't do something horrible? Like you're a dictator, right? So I, I honestly can't spin it any other way, but to think that if, Barack Obama would have taken a more definitive action like we saw yesterday. We might not have seen the chemical attack that we saw the other day. And in that regard, there's got to be some sort of self-reflection on – if I'm Barack Obama, I'm thinking to myself, did I do something wrong? Listen, this is something I think to myself every day where I work, right? Uh, I do – I work in the defense industry. So when something happens in the world, the first thing I I think, especially if it's dealing with like terrorism or something, is did I do something wrong? Did I miss something? Because this is what I do. So – Barack Obama has to had to have woken up. What was it uh, April fourth or fifth when that chemical attack? I think it was the fourth, and it was like he had to think to myself, "Should I have taken? Should I have done something different?" Like, what, could I? Could and I mean, I, I think that's going to be the case. You know, th- think about this: if you're the president of the United States, you probably have so many moments where you're asking yourself that. Um, you know, like it or not, you know, we we can all obviously play Monday morning quarterback. Um, You know, he may have thought that what he was doing at the time was the right course of action. It may have been the right course of action. Who knows? You know what I mean? Uh, This particular military strike, you know, that, that Trump decided on, um, I think was much more strategic, much more thought out than I think it's, it's, it's been given credit for. Um, Because I think a lot of people looked at it as just a knee jerk reaction and just, you know, uh, you know, Trump just kind of uh, throwing the cards in there, trying to prove his, you know, toughness or whatever it might be. Um, I think this was a little bit more of a, you know, international really effort, and in, and maybe maybe these lines were drawn, and 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 you know, things were kind of uh, thought out way in advance. And now that something like this happened, they they acted the way they should have. And you know, it's been a long time. Since I mean, geez, a long time that the the media has caught on to the United States, uh, you know, putting their foot down in in a way like this, you know, where there's a deliberate, direct attack on another country um, in so retaliation that, to last, something, and, it, and the, it's worldwide. So the last the unilateral, uh, well, no, maybe not unilateral, but the last. Uh, U.S. bombing of a you know state actor, if you will, was uh, Libya in in support of the Arab Spring, um, and we we know how Libya yeah. turned out. <laughs> Actually, just kind of touches on uh, some of the stuff I want to kind of dovetail off of this in terms of like you know, um, you know what's next? What what is what should our Syria policy be? All in, all out, or some sort of halfway thing? I have some uh, interesting debates that I want to bring up from some uh, New York University law professors that I thought were really interesting. Uh, and and then to talk about the complexities of the Syrian conflict to begin with and what could the, what could this mean for the greater geopolitical situation? And, and can we see a major shift in the balance of kind of like the, I mean, I don't want to say it's an uneasy piece between us and Russia because we've, we, you know, we're pretty much dominating, but there, there is obviously a lot of contention. I don't, I don't you know, It'd be interesting to see what you guys think about in terms of that kind of switching into a different mode um, and kind of my take on maybe some sort of another 
inadvertent brilliance of Trump that I think I, I spoke to Anthony a little bit on chat last night. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but, you know, Rich, why don't you finish what you're going to say? I knew you were going to try to jump in there for a second. Well, no, I just mean uh, the thing that I'm seeing is a lot of hypocrisy. You know, people that, um, you know, if Hillary said bomb the uh, the uh, airfields, which she did say, I think there'd be a lot of people behind her. And but because it's it's this guy uh, saying it, I think there's a lot of people that are trying to find any reason to where, you know, you shouldn't have done that. On on that note, Richie, say say Hillary was in office right now and the Republican base did not want Hillary in office and she made this decision. uh, Would the Republicans be looking at her as oh man, what an idiot. Why would she do something like that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, no matter what side did it, whatever was done would have been criticized by the other side. Politics in America right now is, has become so uh, polarizing now that, uh, I mean, you see, you know, photographs of, you know, kids dying and video of little babies gasping for air and stuff like that. And it's like, well, how could you not act? You know, you have to do something. Um, It's just really, really frustrating to me because there's a lot of uh, like young, smart people that, uh, you know, all of a sudden want to become non-interventionalist, which is what I've been for a long time. I mean, I'm like a libertarian. So I agree with like, you know, Ron Paul, Rand Paul. They're not affecting our national security. They're not doing anything to us. So why do we have to be there? We're going to get pulled into um, another quagmire kind of a thing. What do you think the the long-term strategy for Trump is here? So I have a clip of Trump, of Trump, (laughs) of Trump's statement where he, uh, (laughs) No, I think I think his long term plan is to get reelected. And I think that's why Ivanka and Kushner are now having such a strong pull on what happens. I mean, you're seeing now Bannon and a previous might be kicked out totally. Yeah. So he's getting like the ear of, you know, or, or at least so, the moderates are getting his ear. So that's, that's the long term political strategy. What I'm what I'm getting at is what do you think our, our you know, what is next for our Syrian campaign here? So, um, I mean, I'll play the clip here of Trump, Trump where he spoke last night announcing the strikes and give me your take on what you think, what you guys think he might be his next move. Um, hold on, let me get pulled up. Dude, well, here. it's all—it's all the same thing. Everybody thinks that you know um, Trump is colluding with the Russians, and this is some kind of. I gotta come in here. Hold on. On Tuesday, Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad launched a so horrible chemical C-SPAN weapons attack. And they had some audio issues. So the audio issues you hear in this civilians. clip is from C-SPAN. So using the, a deadly nerve agent. Assad choked out the lives of helpless men, women, and children. It was a slow and brutal death for so many. Even beautiful babies were cruelly murdered in this very barbaric attack. No child of God should ever suffer this is such horror. Not me. Tonight, I ordered a targeted military strike on the airfield 
in Syria from where the chemical attack was launched. It is in this vital national security interest of the United States to prevent and deter the spread and use of deadly chemical weapons. It gets better. Don't worry about the sound. There can be no dispute. As a result, the refugee crisis continues to deepen and the region continues to destabilize, threatening the United States and its allies. Tonight, I call on all civilized nations <laughs> to join us in seeking to end the slaughter and bloodshed in Syria. Take note of that part right and there. And also to end terrorism of all kinds and all types. We ask for God's wisdom as we face the challenge of our very troubled world. We pray for the lives of the wounded and for the souls of those who have passed. Here comes my favorite part. And we hope that as long as America stands for justice, that peace and harmony will in the end prevail. Good night and God bless America and the entire world. Thank you. <laughs> I love that last part where he goes, God bless America and the entire world. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of reminds me of Ron Burgundy. And he's like, you know, but he would always say like, you know, take care of San Diego. And then he's like, good night. World. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to put his, he has to have his Trumpisms in there. It's, it's crazy. It's so funny. <laughs> It is funny. You know what, though? Well, I mean, I, I just hate, you know, I don't know. I just hate hypocrisy. I hate it. I yeah. hate it so much. I agree. And everybody now that that when Ron Paul was running and saying, like, oh, we should be, uh, you know, a sovereign nation. We shouldn't be intervening in uh, other nations, you know, uh, problems. Everybody said, oh, my God, you know, he's an isolationist. We're not going to get any trade you know he's this and that where do you draw the line i mean where do you draw the actual line not the obama red line in the sand where do you draw the line i mean it's well i think i think what we're seeing right now rich is you know we're actually living right now well you know you guys might disagree but we're actually living right now through a learning curve of information uh, being communicated and being processed by everybody. So in the past, you know, we've had major things happen, but didn't have the communication mediums that we do right now with social media and stuff like that. Now we've had social media for quite some time, but we're also of an age um, and during a time that some substantial political things are happening around the world, right? So now you're starting to see people's stance from your peers. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more of, you know, how people process this information. It's it's a learning curve. It's, it's you know, people are learning what's real, what's not. People are learning, you know, how not to be hypocritical and how, you know, and some people just don't care and, you know, they'll remain the same. But I think for the large majority... So, you know, we will see that that people will actually no, just, take this as I a just learn, think that, you know. I just think that now it's it's not even a learning curve. It's just that everybody hates everything that Donald Trump does. And I don't even like the fucking guy. Like, he's done a shitty job so far. 
whatever. Like, yeah. I'm not a Donald Trump guy. But I just see so many friggin' people now going like, uh, all of a sudden, they're anti-interventionalists. Barack <laughs> Obama dropped more bombs on the Middle East than anybody else ever. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to bring it up as, like, something for me to stand on, but... If you're going to be one way, be one way. Like, if you're anti-war, be anti-war. All right, hold on, hold on, guys. Hold on. So what I would like to do is I want to get back to the core question that I was asking, and that, okay. that was what we think the next step is going to be for Trump. Now, we heard, we just heard in that clip with Trump when he, he made the announcement about the strikes mm-hmm. that he, he, ma- he made the specific statement that he was calling on all nations to come together to stop the bloodshed in Syria. Yeah. So to me, that th- there's a lot that that can be inferred from that. I feel like that that can mean that he's you know jumping in for the long haul here to take Assad out. But um, it also is still very vague, right? Like, okay, let's stop the bloodshed. Sure, let's do a humanitarian effort or something. Let's do a no-fly zone, right? It, I mean, it still can mean a bunch of stuff. But, but, but is it a hint? Like, is it a hint that he, you know, he's just trying to get to that? I might like, be I, looking I know- at it. I might be looking at it more broad, but... I don't know if I don't know if this is so much of a focused attempt at like, okay, you know, I'm going to make a long term effort to take down Assad. Like, I I think this is more of a I'm taking the long term effort of showing the world that, you know, look, if you, you know, go against international laws, there's going to be consequences. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I get that. See the consequences, and I I really think think that's his stance. I I don't really know that he has much of a stance past that. I don't. I don't know if I'm ready to give. But what do you think he means when he when he says, "I call on all nations to stop the bloodshed in Syria," like that specifically? Because to me, that's kind of really what stands out, and everything. Everything else is just you know fluff. Uh, We you know they killed babies, and you know chemical weapons were blowing them up now because they're assholes, right? They're beautiful babies, right? Uh, So, but to me, the only real significant thing that he said there, besides the "God bless America" and "God bless the the world," world. like you know, uh, to me, the most significant thing there was uh, he calls on all nations to help stop the bloodshed. I, I mean. I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit of a hint towards uh, maybe a broader strategy to oust Assad, almost that Barack Obama esque approach. Mm-hmm. And this could this kind of could go into um, you know the concept of you know what are we doing in Syria in general? Like what is our Syrian policy? Because up until today or up until yesterday, it's been we're taking out ISIS. And that's really it. Like we we didn't have any stance. Everything's very complicated. First off, I'll, I'll link to this to show notes for people. There's a couple good sources yeah. that shows the complexities of this all. And I do also have a, a short clip that we could play of a, a New York University law professor that has a, an interesting opinion on um, you know the all in or all out approach. I believe he's a libertarian too, which is an interesting take on war from him. And um, I don't. I, I think it's a little weird. Uh, well, Joe, I, I've said the thing, uh, the uh, same exact thing. I mean, I, I would consider myself a libertarian, and I think that either you go in and finish it, or you, you know, do these stupid half measures that get you embroiled in, you know, uh, conflicts for ten, fifteen, twenty years. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think he has a good uh, team around him. I think he has General Mattis, and he has Nikki Haley. They seem a little more hawkish than he did when he was running. And, of course, 
you know, by his tweets back in the day, way more hawkish. But uh, like I was saying to you before we even started recording the show, it's a little weird. I think when you become president president of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think things kind of change a little bit. You kind of have a different access to things that are going on and maybe you have to act a little differently than you campaigned on. Yeah. So this is probably a good a good place where we could listen to this this clip I got. It's actually really long, so maybe I'll play it. We could talk over it a little bit. Uh I'll try to fast forward a little bit. Um maybe I'll cut a little bit out of it out and post post on this. Uh but I'll link to it in our show notes because it's really a good listen li- uh, a good thing to listen to. It's a New York uh university professor uh named Richard Ep- Epstein. Okay. And he's argue he he's arguing to for the affirmative um, f- in a debate called U.S. involvement in war, and specifically the question is is directed towards when does the U.S. Uh, get themselves involved in conflict when they are not directly threatened, right? So allies, or alliances, and things like that. And it's it's a really interesting take. And and I listened to him once again. It was on C-SPAN. I, I'm a huge nerd. I listen to C-SPAN on my way to work. And there's a lot of funny things that go on on that radio show in the morning. I think I posted about one of them. There's some crazy shit that people say on that show. But um, it was just, it strike me. And it made me think about our approach to these these conflicts and, and he makes some good points um but think about this though because he's a libertarian so if you think as a libertarian like rich was saying it's kind of a you don't necessarily expect this out of them let, let me richard here he comes you have 15 minutes to defend the proposition the united states should be prepared to use force in defense of friendly nations even when not subject to direct threat of force we close the voting naomi the voting is all closed uh, Richard, take it away. That's goes. your timekeeper. He's, he's got a him. very interesting He's going to hit you over the head if you go over, over time. I'm happy to be the second of three debaters on this particular issue. This is Richard Sandwiched between two people who have taken the New York negative. University Law Professor. And let me see if I can sort of describe why. I'm not quite a neocon, but nonetheless would classify myself probably as somebody who is more or less, uh, in terms that are not particularly appetizing to many people, something of a modest, dubious cautious libertarian hawk. And the question is, how does one start to get to this position? And my own view, generally speaking, is to take the same attitude that we heard earlier on about how it is that you try to organize events, have very strong categorical rules. This first part here is pretty interesting because in it brings up an interesting concept. And indeed, I wrote a book some years ago called Simple Rules for a Complex World, which set out six basic rules which, if understood, uh, would, in effect, in a sane and civilized society, get rid of most of the ailments uh, that befall a modern American. Well, the first thing to understand is that simple rules for a complex world deals with the way in which a government tries to regulate an economy. And under these particular circumstances, it's not that there isn't discretion and uncertainty and confusion in the way in which various things ought to be done, uh, but the basic intuition is that if you have a relatively fixed set of legal rules, the discretion will then be lodged in private parties. And, and they'll, they'll try, try to figure out how it is that they are, are going, going to be best able to deal with various kinds of uncertainty. 
And if we look at the private organizations that have to make these kinds of choices, they do have a fairly complicated governance structure. Uh, but one of the features, apart from separation of powers, that's extremely important is there's something known as the business judgment rule. And what that means is that when you're faced with uncertainty rule. and two kinds of errors, and you're not conflicted out of the situation, no matter which particular choice that you make, you are going to be insulated from liability with respect to your shareholders or your other constituents. And the reason that this particular rule has such incredibly powerful roots is you could imagine if you try to do it the other way around. Um, if you got it right, heads you win, you get it wrong, you heads, tails you lose, you're going to be exposed to some kinds of serious sanctions, including financial ones. At the front end, the expected value of all positions of power is therefore going to be negative, and so the organization shut down because they will not be able to get anybody in order to operate. So now what happens is why don't you apply this with respect to foreign affairs? And the answer is, unfortunately, the definition of a state is that it has the monopoly of power within the jurisdiction in question, and there are no private parties to which you can delegate the question of what kinds of judgments you want to make when you start to deal with foreign affairs. And so at this particular point, the question of when and how you use force has to be a public function. If it has to be a public function, then the same kinds of rules have to give you discretion on which particular way you're going to go, whether you're going to stay in or whether you're going to stay out. And so then people are going to start to say, well, why do you really need that kind of discretion? And let me see if I can give an explanation why. If you start talking about most situations, essentially the world is a relatively simple place if everybody starts to play by the rules. If you don't cross the middle of the road to hit somebody else, they don't have to run and hide in order to get out of the way. Uh, but anybody who spends any time worrying about the rules associated with self-defense in individual and private cases will quickly realize that it is in fact shrouded with a kind of irreducible uncertainty that no amount of clever analysis can reduce. And so if somebody comes at you, one of the things you could do is sit there and take it, and after you're dead, bring a cause of action for damages. Not so good. So now you're entitled to use force, but the question is how much force are you entitled to use? And we He's have really a lot of rules about excessive force under conditions of mistake, proportionate force, and all the rest of that stuff. And it turns out that the moment somebody deviates from the rules, you have to give a degree of discretion to everybody else. Now, one of the other great problems that has in the area in which you're talking about the use of private force in ordinary situations is as follows. What are we supposed to do with respect to the use of force in those circumstances where we see A is attacking B, and we as an individual have to decide whether or not we're going to intervene? And one of the things you Sound can say is, really well, weird. it's not my business. If A wants to kill B, uh, what happens is B better defend That's himself, but I'm not going to this risk not me. Uh, but most people would say a categorical rule of that sort would not only be hard-hearted, but would be positively dangerous if you thought that the repetition of those Someone give this man a pop filter. To take place. And so what happens is now we say, you're allowed but not required to intervene. Well, how do you decide the way in which the particular intervention is going to take place? Well, this is not a particularly easy question to answer, whether or not we're going oh, to and intervene. Back. <laughs> and one of the things you can say is, well, it's not my business. If A wants to kill B, uh, what happens is B better defend himself. No, but think, I'm not think going about to this risk concept anything. that he's talking about right uh, now in terms of the Syrian conflict. Most people would say a categorical rule of that sort would not only be hard-hearted, but would be positively dangerous if you thought that the repetition of those kinds of events would continue to take place. And so what happens is now we say, you're allowed but not required to intervene. 
Well, how do you decide the way in which the particular intervention is going to take place? Well, this is not a particularly easy question to answer because you certainly don't want to say you always have to go in. It may well be that there's a serious conflict that exists. You start to go into the situation. Not only does poor old B get slaughtered, but it turns out that you get messed up in a very bad way as well. And so what you have to do is to ask what the possibility of success is, how confident you are that you know who's in the right and who's the wrong, whether or not there's time to get other allies before you start to intervene. And essentially what happens is you're right back to the kinds of serious problems about the use of judgment and the way in which you have to handle these cases. So the question then comes is, how does this particular work when you translate it from the individual cases into the cases having to deal with public affairs? And it's interesting, those who go back and study the classic sources on this, Grotius, Puffendorf, and all those other guys whom we read only in translation, will in effect discover that they always tried to figure out how you dealt with international relations questions by figuring out the way in which you dealt with the analogous question as it arose in ordinary disputes between private individuals, recognizing that the stakes would be vastly higher when you're talking about nations, but understanding full well that it's rather more difficult to figure out exactly what the right answer is. And so therefore, what you have to do is to approach the problem with the appropriate sense of humility, knowing in effect that the both kinds of errors that you have in these kinds of high-stake issues are going to be extraordinarily hard. And so there'll be some cases in which you don't intervene and you will regret it to your last day, and there are other days in which you will start to intervene and you'll think that it was premature, foolish, and unwise. Uh, so it cannot be done on either side of this debate to simply announce this, that, or the other success or failure is dispositive with respect to the question. One of the reasons why this debate is so difficult to undertake and how it is supposed to work is that it turns out that you have to look at a huge number of cases before you could decide whether a per se rule or some kind of muddy, uncertain, intermediate position of the short that I'm defending is in fact the appropriate way in which to look at it. And I think in effect when you start to do that, uh, the strength of the middle position starts to become a little bit more clear than it would otherwise be. So let's just start to figure out what it is that we mean when we start to talk about this particular resolution and the way in which it's going to start to work or with respect to the use of force. Uh, the operative verb we use is prepared, which doesn't mean that we're going to do it all the time. Not going to do it other times. You have to figure out which it is. Well, now, how do you prepare? Well, let's suppose that we have decided as an abstract matter that we are not going to intervene in foreign affairs unless there's a direct threat against the United States. Next question is, can we enter into any treaties or alliances with other nations which would commit us to use force in order to defend them in exchange of a commitment by them to use force in order to defend us? This is not a simple abstract proposition. If one were to try to explain what the success of NATO was in the immediate post-war years, the centerpiece of the entire operation was Article 5 of that particular treaty in which every nation signatory to the arrangement agreed that they would respond to a threat upon one of their allies as if it were a threat upon themselves. And this was, of course, I think a great success because before the treaty was entered into, there was a genuine hey, question hey there, as to whether or not the Russians would continue to march westward and impose their free society known as communism upon helpless nations. And once it was clear that the United States had put themselves into the game in this particular fashion, um, that was, I think, a very effective counterweight to the way in which things went. And it was also clear that it was not just an idle treaty arrangement. What you have to do is you have to put troops in harm's way, have to post them in various places in Europe, 
and in order to be able to forestall this situation. About the same time, of course, we had another difficulty, is what we were going to do in respect to situations in Korea and in East Asia. And there was a famous resolution, which somehow or other put the South Korea outside the protective zone Syria of American interests. And one of the short-term consequences of that was a Korean war, which turned out to be bloody and rather difficult to deal with. If we had taken a firmer line on that going into the front end, it seems to me that we would have had very much greater results. If you then look at the analogous situations later with the famous red line and Aleppo and so forth, the unwillingness of the American position to enforce anything with respect to that has resulted in hundreds of thousands of people died, um, tens of thousands, millions of people displaced, immigration pressures moving you into Europe, the breakup in some ways of the British situation all being attributable to the migration question. Um, You have paid a very high price for passivity under these type of situations. Now, people are going to start to say, and I think quite rightly, well, there's some notable fiascos. You could look at Vietnam and argue that that was one. Certainly, the end was completely ignominious in 1975, and there could be a huge dispute about what is going to happen in a place like Iraq. But it seems to me that the lessons that you want to learn from this is not that you always stay out, but the lesson is rather quite different. What you do is you decide if you're going to get in, you do not get in with just enough force to make it a fair fight. What you do is you think about this in the same way that you think about predator and prey when you're talking about a state of nature. And that means that if you're going to be a lion, you're willing to take on a hyena, but you're not willing to take on a pack of five. That is the only fights that you enter into are those that you could win with overwhelming force. And given the position of the United States and its productive might, we can bring about those circumstances. So part of the problem that you had with respect to Vietnam is that we had all sorts of constraints on what we were prepared to bomb and how we were prepared to behave. And in effect, if you go in halfway, what you do is you get yourself chopped to bits. If you look at the situation in Iraq, uh, the mistake wasn't the war, that was a cake dance. I could still remember the New York Times saying, oh my God, when they get to Iraq inside Baghdad, there's going to be mayhem and so forth. It turns out Saddam had nothing left, and it was a victory party marching there. But if you win a war, you have to win the peace, and you can't hire Paul Bremer to do it because he didn't know what it was he was doing. Uh, You put somebody like Petraeus in charge, and he was not just a military man. He understood full well the kind of social commitments that it requires in order to maintain a difficult kind of occupation under circumstances where you hope for steady amelioration by having not only force but making rather unholy dealings with people you don't like and defending against force by others, people whom you do like. And the situation in Iraq as of the end of 2008 and beginning of 2009 was one of uneasy stability. By the time the president comes in, that is Obama, he has per se rules. He doesn't want to commit ground troops, which is a version of the stay out and you could see the chaos, confusion, disaster, and human sacrifice that has followed under that position. The day after we pull out, the prime minister decides to represent, to arrest the deputy prime minister, and the whole place falls to pieces. And what you have to understand when you're dealing, therefore, with these military-type situations is that if you take half measures, you can be worse off than if you stay in or if it turns out that you go out. So now there's just the last question that I want to mention, which is how do we know what is or is not a direct force? 
Sometimes they're direct, sometimes they're slow, and all the rest of it. And the point about this is we don't want to limit our defense to direct forces only, because sometimes if you wait a little bit for an indirect force to sort of manifest itself in a more serious fashion, the situation has gone out of control, and you're going to be in a much worse position than you were if you had decided to intervene a little early on. You could have asked the Israelis in 1967 to wait until they had been attacked, but what they did is they attacked after it turns out uh, that the Egyptians decided to blockade the Gulf of Aqaba, and that saved everything enormously. So when you look at all the situation, I think you have to put everything together, understand that there are two kinds of error in all of these cases, understand further that using force is always a difficult question, that judgment becomes an essential portion of the way in which we have to start to deal with these things. If you start with the frame and make it very funny uh, that it turns out every time you use force, it's going to be a calamity, then when you don't use force, that's when the real calamities will happen. Thank you. All right. Anyway, it's very long-winded, but I wow. but there's a lot there, and he, he sounds like a um like a a right-wing Bernie Sanders almost. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean he's he's a libertarian. I mean, which is which is funny because he just made the case for intervening in situations preemptively that we are not directly involved in, and he he touches on very and he specifically touches on the Syrian conflict and and also talks about Iraq, and, and it brings me to one of my main points and one of the main questions that I I have to you guys about this recent strike in Syria and our our new approach. Approach, if you will, to the Assad regime is is this, this is is this going to be a half measure? Is this going to be uh, all in? Is this what is this what is this going to be? What should it be? And in the context of what he just said, I'd also like you to uh, I don't know, if, Rich, if you have this, but there's a link in the in the podcast notes to QZ.com, which is uh hold on courts, I believe. And it, well, they have a beautiful gra- infographic about the complexities, right, of the, of the things here. And what it really highlights is something he hits on, right, the, this half-measure situation. If you go in halfway, you kind of – essentially what he's saying is if you half-ass it by creating these weird alliances and, and just appeasing and, and, and making – maybe trying to just make it an even playing field, you're going to – you're just going to get shredded and it's not going to end up well for you. And he also cites historical precedent for that, that that actually pretty much does prove his point. And if you go to that link that I have in my, in my uh, notes here – Anthony, I, I'm, I usually have up my notes. But if you do have it, go to that link. You scroll down, it's an interactive map. I'll put this in our show notes for the listeners. And if you click on it, 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 it lets you hover over to different uh, – there's the outer circle here. It's the outer ring has the uh, – I believe that's called the external involvement. So that's uh, people not necessarily directly involved but supporting and doing maybe kind of minimal uh, actions in Syria. And there's the inner, inner ring is the actual actors in Syria, right? If you click on the United States, just click on it. It highlights who they are aligned with, who are they fighting with, and who – they support, right? If you look at it, there's a lot of dotted lines, right? And if you look at the dotted lines, it means enemies and friends. That means these are just people that are stated enemies and stated friends, right? They're not people you're directly doing much with. They're not people you're fighting. They're not people you're necessarily supporting, but you're just friendly with them. 
then there's military allies and actively fighting, right? Um, the military allies are the ones you're actively doing something with to actually, you know, you're giving them arms or doing stuff like that, right? Actively fighting means you're actually dropping bombs on them or something like that or boots on the ground. If you look at the United States and you click on that, do you see the, the two dotted lines and all the, you see all the dotted lines there and, and then you have the two, right? Now go over to Russia. Do you see any dotted lines? No. Now, that is what he's saying. So by his measure, what's good, Russia will prevail in this situation because they are all in. If you look at that, that chart shows you look at them. Every one of the, they're actively fighting every single other foe internal to Syria, to, to the Syrian government. And they are a direct military ally to Syrian government. Whereas if you look at the U.S., we're, uh, oh, we're military allies with the Syrian Kurds and we're military allies with the Free Syrian Army. And we're just friendly with the Islamic Front. And we're just friendly. Or no, no, I'm sorry. We're friends with, government. we're enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Al-Nusra Front, ISIL, right? So it's, it's like. Well, no, what, what I think is we have General Mathis now, who yes. is an amazing person he knows he knows how to use force he knows diplomacy he knows all that stuff so i don't think there is going to be any half measures you know in this administration i mean because he's he's the secretary of of defense oh i i I hope so right because i mean granted what what we're talking about here with with uh these alliances and what you just heard uh i mean this is taking the totality of the situation before trump and uh, I mean, obviously, what we just heard was from December, so it was not when Trump was in office. But in the context of what we know today, with what happened yesterday with the strikes and then the chemical attacks, the the point here is if you if you look at this chart, and I, and I don't know if you can see it, um, it, it really does show the complexities. And what it doesn't show, though, is when you hover over this outer external involvement section, is the is the intricacies of who you're actively enemies and allies and friends with on the outer outer circle and its. So, for example, the U.S. and European allies are not are enemies with Iran, Hezbollah. Uh, keep going around the circle here, and Russia, right? So you don't see that intricacies, and this plays more into the complex situation for which this could be a powder keg when it comes to a possible, you know. Archduke for a Nan type of moment, right? We had yesterday where we attack a naval, not a naval, uh, air, airfield in Syria for Syrian regime, which is something which something of a no go type of thing for such a long time. It was just we're we're bombing ISIS, we're bombing ISIS over and over again. We don't want to get involved with the actual civil war itself directly. We will arm the Free Syrian Army only because the ends is, is supposedly they're fighting ISIS, right? Uh, you know, so here here we have a situation where now we just we cross that line. So you could almost draw uh, a little bit of a I don't know. I want to say like some sort of fuzzy area over all this and say these are no go situations. These are go situations. And we have labeled up until this point, up until we struck that airfield, the go situations in terms of our conflict were only directed at the Islamic militants, whether it be Al Nusra Front or. ISIL, but now that we bombed the the Syrian regime airfield with Russian boots on the ground in that airfield, that opens up almost that whole outer ring of this this diagram that you see here and go, holy shit, what does this mean now? It really doesn't. It doesn't though, because the United States told Russia before they were going to shoot the airfield down that they were going to 
do that. So Russia yes. suffered no yeah. no casualties. I mean, it's it's another Fair classic enough. example of of a very uh, it's a warm conflict, but it's like a Cold War sort of a thing. I mean, that's this is exactly what we're seeing being stricken back up right now. Yeah, and well, you know, there's also the other side of this too, where uh, you know it could be that you know. There is obviously a different relationship with Russia under Trump than under Obama. So, you know, there there could be some sort of, you know, back channel, is, if you will, situation, too. Because remember when Obama was was uh, campaigning and debating? What did he say? He was like, oh, yeah, of course, I'd sit down with people in Iran. I'd sit down with people anywhere. And everybody was like jumping on him, saying like, oh, my God, he would talk to these terrorist people. That's terrible, yeah, yeah. terrible, terrible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now Trump is in a position where he pretty much has to do that. You know, I mean, because there's so many fingers in that area. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think the the position he's in is, is really he only has talked to Russia. I mean, he doesn't have to talk to Iran. Like, fuck Iran. Why not? Yeah, but but look at the difference, though. I mean, well, if you look at Iran and Russia, you know, in in this uh, in this chart, they're actively they're both actively fighting everything, right? Other than the Syrian government, right? So, I don't know how yeah. our, this is yeah. about uh, our allies versus who they're actively fighting already has a conflict, and. I don't know. I mean, is there any uh, significance to well, that? Well, I mean, the the real complex of this is there's there's such overlap too. Right? So Iran is you know being a Shia organization, uh, you know, a country, and you know, and Hezbollah being a de facto arm of uh, the IRGC, you know, the, the, being Shia, they're they're always they've always been at war with ISIL and AQ, right? Like that, they're just solely because they're they're Sunni, and then and then the Syrian the Free Syrian Army because they're aligned with uh, this, the Bashar al Assad's government, they have by default have to fall in line with that. Um, and then Syri the Syrian Kurds, they don't. They it looks like they don't mess with. But um, and if you look at if you look at Hezbollah, Iran, and Russia, their charts look they mirror exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, right. and then but all the United States cares about is Israel. Honestly, Israel and Jordan. I mean, they're the only two countries that we know yeah. are definitely our friends. Everybody yeah. else is like a, a crapshoot because they're so destabilized. Why are they destabilized? Uh -huh. Well, we probably had a big hand in that. So you have Afghanistan, you know, where I think the Taliban's out of there. Who knows? I mean, there's probably still parts of the country where that's in. And then you have uh, Pakistan, which is totally crazy on their their own merit. I mean, they hate India. India has nukes. They yeah, have nukes. Yeah. What's going on there? Hezbollah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who really honestly cares about that? Ever since uh, Nasser Arafat died, like, Hezbollah has been like a blip on the fucking map. Like, they haven't really done anything. I mean, who who is the uh, the uh, Israeli uh, prime well, minister uh, that got assassinated? Uh, Nasser, was Nasser Arafat was uh, the wasn't Hezbollah. He was um, what's it called? The was it Hamas? I believe. Hamas, You're thinking of Hussein Nasrallah, who's still alive, is the leader of Hezbollah. Uh, thought, Yasser, Yasser Arafat was a Palestinian Authority, so the PLO and. Oh, and the probably, PLO, that's probably right. Hamas. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. But, well, 
I'm sure when it comes to Israel, they're all on the same page. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say they probably all agree on at least one giant thing. But (laughs) uh, Iraq, I mean, I can't even really consider that a country. Qatar, that's that's something like uh, Saudi Arabia. You know, it's like they're very rich. They do a lot of fucked up shit, but because they have so much money and oil and shit, we're cool with them. You know, I don't know. Turkey, Turkey, Egrojin or whatever the fuck his name is. He he said a lot of fucked up things recently like he was threatening to send um you know refugees to other countries in europe you know germany's probably going to be uh you know at the you know butt end of that i mean (laughs) for sure i I really don't see anything in here too much that's like very different i mean kurds i think i think what it really out what i think this uh kind of outlines the most is when you Compare and contrast Russia and the U.S. because on this whole chart, they're the two, you know, apples to apples type of things you can compare to. Like, and no one else really can, you know, do hold, you know, anything against the, you know, Russia or United States, right? And why though, Joe? Why though? What are they both? What are the United States and Russia both? Nuclear powers, obviously. Well, well, that's the most obvious thing. But what what (laughs) form of uh, economic system do they? They're cap. They're capitalist societies. Yes, yes. No, we are free market capitalists. They're not free market capitalists. What kind of capitalists? Well, democracies and state state capitalists. State capitalists. If they were were real capitalists, they wouldn't use. They wouldn't use. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. If they were Turkey, real would, Turkey would have an argument with you, I think. Tar- Turkey would probably argue with that. Well, they, they wouldn't use military force to protect the uh, economic interest of their own country. That's not free market capitalist. That's state capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's true. I mean, free mar- when I say free market, I, I usually tend to kind of put that in the context of the U.S. market, right? Because we, we're so dominant. Which is obviously global too, because of how dominant we are. But but it's not um, free market. I mean, there's so many people out there that talk shit about capitalism, but we've never honestly ever seen we it. We don't have a free. We don't have a true free market capitalist. I know what you're saying. When I, when I say free market, I say in a, in the context of there's no other country in the world that has a type of capitalist market that we have, right? And, and there's a reason why so many you know financial interests across the world go to our markets because of that. Yeah, and, and nobody and, has the kind of capitalist market that we have because nobody yeah, even yeah. comes close to our military might. Yeah, and it, and it's true that we don't have you know that pure free market type of system either, right? So y- you make a good point, but yeah, it, and I'm, I'm I not think, here. I'm not here to talk shit about America. Believe me, I'm definitely not. But America, I could, Fuck I could, em. I could. No, no. I mean, I could just <laughs> see why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you Go know, on. there's a lot of people are in the Middle East that Russia, are rich. Tell the truth. No, I believe I you're colluding. I'm with just Russia. kidding. No, I just mean that. I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's kidding. probably a a lot of people. A lot of pe- people. I, I feel like there's. <laughs> a I feel like there's a lot of a lot of people in the Middle East that are um, that are yeah. that are you know colluding with us or coming in with us only because they have no fucking choice. They, they don't have a choice. And if you really look down at the economic interests of these countries, that I mean, it's, it's hard to really, sh- you know, find a country that isn't fully dependent on the U.S. market, right? Yeah. And, and what, does the is, innovation. what does Israel do? What is, what is their main export? Like matzahs, olives? Like what? Are, <laughs> no, well, seri- seriously, believe it, believe it or not, Israel has a pretty damn good uh, technology community, te- uh, startup and technology community going on. Um, Outside of Silicon Valley, they they probably have the largest like startup 
don't uh, they, ecosystem. Aren't they in, I, I could yeah. be totally wrong on this, okay? But don't they aren't they involved with um like defense equipment? I thought I thought yeah, yes, they're, was, ob- they're was very really big defense. Yeah, they make, a lot, they make a, a lot of guns and a lot of bombs. And it's yeah. because they have to. Look yeah, what they're yeah. surrounded by. <laughs> yeah, I'd be making bombs too. But I mean that, you know, that is a, you know, Industry. positive, right? That's an interest, you know, if you're an exporter of, <laughs> of I wouldn't really equipment. say it was positive. I mean, um I don't know. I a mean lot, in terms of, that, said of about- global economic like when you're talking about you know, I think what do th- they what do they offer? I mean, that's you know, in, in terms of defense, in terms just, of military, that's yeah. Just just to close out um, the complexity issue, right before we get into Israeli issue, because that's a whole other thing, right? <laughs> if you <laughs> go go to go to that uh, little diagram again and just hover up to uh, hover up above it to that paragraph above it and just let all everything will be exposed, right? You see all those lines. You see whether they're dotted, solid. At this point, doesn't matter. Now, like now, now, conceptually draw the lines on that outer external involvement thing between those people. And think about how how more complex that gets. Oh yeah, right. Well, there, there's going to be that's a bunch Syria. of contradictions. That's Syria. Right? Well, I, I mean, I, yes and no. Yeah, I mean, there's always some sort of conflicting interests, you know. I feel yeah. like I feel like the whole Iraq thing too, because Iraq is just apparently, according to this uh, diagram, is yeah. just uh, supporting the free Syrian army and the Syrian government. But I I don't think that's true. I mean, Iraq. No, 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 no. It's going through to free Syrian army. They're not supporting them. That if you look through it, it's going through to the Syrian government. It's bad design. They uh, Iraq. It, I don't think they're necessarily. Uh, if they're if they're supporting the free Syrian army, it's only because we are, and maybe there there's a part of them that's still you know working with us. But the, the Iraq has historically been a Bashar al-Assad ally. I mean, I'm and, just of the uh, of the whole thing yeah. that, to where. Uh, just let them fight it the fuck out. I mean, if yeah, somebody yeah. somebody tries to fu- fuck with Israel, I mean, I guess we got to get involved. But good, we'll- it's a good point, Rich. What you this whole so what you're saying there is, is it's an all in and all out situation for me. So I brought this up at work today, and people thought it was crazy when I said, "Oh, it's, we we need to adopt either an all in or all out because you know what's happening? These half measures aren't doing shit for us, and, and and they're not. They really aren't. Think about any military conflict that we've been involved in that we went half ass at it." That we, I mean, we didn't obviously half-ass World War Two, right? I mean, we obviously obviously half-ass World War One, Vietnam. I mean, Korea. Yes, and Iraq how did that work? Out? How did that work? Iraq too. They're quagmires. Yeah, they're quagmires, and they didn't necessarily work out in any sort of. It took years for Vietnam and and stuff like that to kind of get to a place where they're they're kind of like in the international. Like they're actually pretty thriving right now, but we we didn't win, we didn't lose. And there was years and years of uh, craziness going on, right? So it's it's like this: these half measures really don't work. So I think the problem with when you say all in or all out, people think like this wild. They, they have this wild picture in their head. Like they, they think when you say all in, they think I, I think they're thinking like you got Marines landing on beaches, nuclear bombs going off, all in. Let's level it. No, it's all in is is a measured approach with a goal. Right. And, and your all in approach is to get to that goal. 
So you could have an all-in approach with Syria and not, you know, not, you know, activate the draft again, right? And like, you know, overcome industry and make them start, you know, producing bombers, right? No, you could you could have a goal of saying I want Bashar Assad out and go all in for that goal. And you know what? We would be able to do that. It'd be easy. It'd be fuck it's fucking Bashar Assad. Russia's not going to do shit. And so that's what I mean by this. So it's, we could we could just bomb Bashar al-Assad's airfields. That's a half measure. What does that do? What does that stop? Tell, in the long run, what does that stop? Don't use chemical weapons again. Well, he's a fucking dictator. He doesn't give a fuck. Sure, he'll use them again. You'll bomb another airfield. Was it to him? He doesn't care. Like <laughs> he's a goddamn dictator. But <laughs> Joe, Joe, but yeah. aren't the dictators in that part of the country or the, that part of the world? Aren't they the best at dealing with the shitty, you know, oh, yeah, radical yeah, yeah. Islamic extremists? Like, look what happened when we oh, got yeah. rid of Saddam. He was a shitty, shitty person. I, I, I know. I, but at least we right. didn't have anything to worry about in Iraq. We didn't let's have not, anything to worry not, about. Um, let's not c- confuse this with this c- the democracy debate, right? Like, I, com- I completely agree. Democracy doesn't necessarily work in the Middle East and North Africa. So why, no you know. Yeah, it doesn't work. But so that's my that's partially my point. Like if you either want Bashar out or not and whatever that goal is, that's a strategic goal for you. So you're either you strategically want to keep him in in place because he could kind of have a stronghold over those situations. Right. Or you want him out for some bigger humanitarian, you know, like dictators you and you want to let them rule themselves or something. Right. But come up with a goal, come up with a plan and do it. Don't just go like like uh, what's his face Richard uh, what's it, whatever his name in that last clip like he said these half measures of just trying to evil the even the playing field evil the playing field even the playing field doesn't quite do it right like so when when Bashar Assad uses chemical weapons this is almost by definition what he was saying when he's, when Bashar Assad using chemical weapons against his civilians or the the opposition army even that and we bomb his airfields to say don't use chemical weapons what have we achieved we the only thing we had che- achieved was don't use chemical weapons therefore we just tried to even the playing field and where does it get us that gets us nowhere it's saying let this dictatorship government fight on the same level as the syrian opposition army or the free syrian army and that's it so we still have that conflict that's going to continue on and on and on we're just at, we're leveling you know even the playing field doesn't do anything it doesn't it doesn't tip it in any direction it just says don't use chemical weapons because they're not using them against you essentially and it, like that's it so do we want to stop the civil war is that our strategic goal then you need to you need to take Bashar al-Assad out is our strategic goal to not only stop but also squash ISIS well that's a whole nother co- commitment right so you got to be committed to that then because these half measures are never going to finish anything they're never going to it's just going to continuously just delay and delay and delay things I don't know. It's it's just it's to me. It's just a bunch of bullshit. Like what the fuck, man? Get your shit together. Do you want Bashar Assad out or not? Just fucking say it. Like Barack Obama said it with uh, Gaddafi in Libya, and you know what? He rolled a die, and it didn't work out for him because Libya is a failed state, and now ISIS is in Libya, right? But that you know what? Kudos to him because he made a goddamn decision. He wants he wanted Gaddafi out, and he did it. He bombed until Gaddafi was out, right? So. Do we want Bashar al-Assad out or what? That's that's a decision that needs to be made. 
Let's not. It's like, you know, we could we could play the tip game all night long, but we know what we want, right? Let's let's fucking make a decision. Are we are we going in? Or are we playing the tip game and go and not doing anything? But why do you want them out though? Is the is the whole thing like? Um, well, that's strategic. You know, that's what I'm saying. That's where someone needs to make a decision. I I personally agree. Bashar al-Assad had a good control over his country before the Arab Spring, right? So. We partially empowered the Arab Spring with our support in different areas, and you know, and then we pulled out. We also pulled out of Iraq, which also spawned you know the rising of ISIS. So it's like, you know, what the fuck? What is our coherent strategy? What is our goal? No one, no one has presented a Syrian strategy. Well, the the goal is always uh, to drop uh, munitions and money and. Uh to send troops into a place that doesn't want us there, um, and then our money and weapons get used against us, pretty much. That's what it seems <laughs> yeah. like. It's, it is, so it seems like a seem shitty like strategy. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, Trump, you know, Trump, uh, uh, Trump like now has... Exactly. I was just going to say he has, he has um, you know, General Mathis, and now he has uh, Nikki Haley, who, who also seems to have a pretty clear opinion on what has to happen, you know, uh, in the Middle East. So hopefully things will change a little bit. I mean, like like uh, like healthcare or any other issue. Like I was telling Joe and and you too, Anthony. Um, you know, you can't you can't have a hybrid, like right. Joe was saying. You know, you have to either be all in. You have to go one way completely, or you have to go the other way completely. One but way the whole thing is, you another. can't you can't really Imagine. seem to get voters to agree on what they want done because the person that's doing it right now is very, very polarizing. Yeah. You're, you're right. It's just, it's frustrating because we didn't, we didn't see a clear strategic goal out of Barack Obama. We don't want, we don't have one in Trump right now. And, but everyone, everyone across the board agrees that we need to be doing something. Well, yeah, well, like, that's what I mean. Like everybody loved when Barack Obama's like, oh, I'm going to have all the troops out of Afghanistan. I'm going to have all the troops out of Iraq. We shouldn't be there. We shouldn't be there. Yeah. But then when like Rand Paul says it, uh, he's a nut. He's a xenophobe. <laughs> he, yeah. He's an isolationist, you know, this and that. But then now when some shit pops off, Donald Trump, you know, uh, puts a uh, an airstrike out there. Now everybody's debating on if there should be should have been an airstrike or not. And it's like the same people that were crying for something to be done to save the children. And then, well, and then every, on top everybody of Everybody always wants to do that. I mean, like, you know, you could, you could play it down as, as, as low as sports. I mean, people always want to get involved, put their opinion into it, why they think, you know, be their own strategists. You know what I mean? Like, at the end yeah. of the day, you know, there's people, you know, that their jobs, you know, are basically to strategize this stuff and to analyze this stuff. And, you know, we can all pretend that we know as much as we think we know um, to make our own judgments and decisions on how we would strategically enter these situations. But at the end of the day, you know, we don't know 
half of what we need to know <laughs> in order to make those assumptions. You know, well, yeah, and like, everybody's saying like, oh, declare war, declare war. Oh, how can you go to, how could you do that without next uh, thing you Congress? Know, Fandal, you know, Fandal is going to start, Fandal is going to start a new tournament for, uh, you know, actively fighting, uh, you know, countries. And <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like think, a, I think, I think people, people forget that the United States hasn't declared war since world war two. Yeah. And when it comes to the, the whole strategy and stuff, the, the only reason why any sort of you know strategy might be hidden for any period of time is because they want strategic surprise. Right. So if you don't have strategic surprise, I guarantee you that any intelligence that, say, the government has on a nation state really isn't extremely valuable. And the only in this calculus, when you're talking about Syria, Russia, and the United States, and you know Jordan, Saudi Arabia, all, all, all these players, what what country has the ability to have some sort of strategic surprise? Uh, you know, outside of whatever covert operations or programs we have going on, which could be extensive, for all I know, um, Russia. It would it would appear to me that Russia has the most advantage right now post the Snowden leaks. I mean, we're talking about you know Edward Snowden who leaked probably. You know, several thousand, if not tens of thousands of very highly classified sources and methods for the United States intelligence community, not just the National Security Agency, but also the CIA. And then you have some follow on leaks from high profile hackers and things like that and and insiders that have leaked things. So. You know, on the surface of all these things, they try to, you know, Snowden tries to make it sound like he's some sort of individual working as a renegade to help, you know, the, you know, better the humanity. But at the end of the day, what really is going on with Snowden is he's a, a Russian agent. I mean, he there's one, there's, there's only one reason why he fled to Russia when he was found out, right? I mean, he, you don't just fl- flee to Russia because you think it's a good place to go after you just stole thousands I like, of I like classified documents. Yeah, great. I mean, I'm sure there's some pleasant resort towns in Russia, but you don't just go there with thousands of top secret documents thinking you're just going to be able to hang out there, right? You go there because you know the Russian government's going to protect you or facilitate something and probably pay you a lot of money. Or if you weren't already a Russian agent to begin with, right? right. So what we have here is a situation where the where Ukraine goes down after Snowden, and now we have the situation in Syria, and it would appear to you know most people that Russia probably has some sort of strategic advantage right now when it comes to intelligence they know our sources and methods from 2013 i know that's you know we're it's somewhat dated now 4 or 5 years or whatever and but they had unprecedented insight into our sources and methods so you know who here has the real advantage right now and it, it i you know this only plays into the concept of what could Russia do in the whole complexity of the situation? I know, you know, I know we didn't kill any Russians in that airstrike, but we did attack one of their allies who they were, you know, they were outspoken about saying they're supporting and, you know, everything that we did to counter Bashar Assad, uh, you know, in a soft way, whether in dip- diplomacy and, you know, financial sanctions and things like that. Russia was an outspoken proponent of everything we brought up in the Security Council, things like that. So, you know, maybe the powder keg is a little bit closer than we think just because Russia has a little bit of a strategic advantage on us right now. Are we, are I mean, we making an assumption, though, with the strategic advantage? Like, you know, is is that to say that America didn't have their own Snowden? You know what I mean? Like, you know, Snowden became a, uh, uh, 
you know, almost a celebrity in a sense of, yeah. you know, how everybody knows about him. But I mean, there's so many covert operations that, that yeah. occur that we're unaware of. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I always wonder well, about I that. Mean, you know, like even even as as the media covered, you know, the Snowden situation, you know, was that purposeful? I mean, who you know, there, I, there's so I don't, many. I, you make a. I mean, I I see what you're saying, but I think that the difference here is we we have. I don't think we have any interest in overcoming Russian power, mm-hmm. right? Our our interest is to keep them where they are. Because they aren't really anything to us right now. That also involves having a, a, a knowledge of their strategic stance as yeah. well, though, correct? But but, yeah, but yes, but but what I'm talking about is acting on it. So we, if we had some sort of you know insider, awesome leaker that isn't necessarily in the limelight, right, standing up against the Russian government and, and talking about it, like what does that mean for us? Okay, that means we could position ourselves better to a defend ourselves, b counter maybe Russian influence in certain areas, right? But Russia, on the other hand, has this unique insight into our intelligence collection and has they're openly trying to regain and almost relive that Cold War power that they have. Like mm. Putin is is so popular because he is a Russian nationalist, right? Mm. We are awesome. We are great. We are going to be great again. I mean, almost verbatim a similar thing that that Trump ran on. And, you know, people have likened that, likened that over and over again in the media. But, I mean, Russia has so much more to gain from something like that than we do. What, what are we to gain? Who are we going to take over? God? I mean, there, there is no other powerful country like us i mean the only thing we could do is continue to protect our influence or and 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 you know advantage that we have whereas russia they're gonna have to make brash moves they're gonna have to take make these power grabs to get to even a fraction of what's once what they once were in the 80s do you guys hear music i hear music good music i, I think what's happening here is uh 2018 rocky eight Oh, yeah, <laughs> it has to be right. Yeah, <laughs> only with only. all this different knowledge, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not just the the boxing. Whole, uh, if I could change, you could change. Then we all could change. <laughs> <laughs> it, Drago. I don't know. I, Drago ends up being our our Snowden. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I just don't. I I just uh, I see um, right now the uh, the. Uh, you know, the actions taken by the United States seem pretty definitive. And I, I don't think that's really come from Trump. I think it's coming from the people that he appointed to do the job for him. You know, the defense people. I mean, you know, and um, I, I think the fact that the, the you know, the ideas are shared through both parties kind of uh, substantiate that a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah, know, th- this this may very well be you know we're looking at it as trump acting and, and trump making the definitive decision you know but as far as strategic you know anal- you know analyzing and you know beyond like everything before the execution point of this of this strategy you know we're looking at the people that are put in play to make those you know decisions and those analysis that that he made that decision from so you know i i find um you know, some solace, I guess, in the, in the fact that, you know, there is, you know, a bipartisan support for that. And, uh, and, you know, 
that would tell me that this was something that was very strategic and, and, you know, given to him as, look, here's, here's what we have. Here are the facts, you know, what, what, this is what we should do. What do you want to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I would, I think I would agree with that to a certain degree. Like, I think it really all depends on the follow through here. So, you know, it's, I think it's the appropriate response to what went down. I'm fine with that. I think it's sure you, you send, a, you know, 59 cruise missiles to the airfield that launched the chemical attacks and you send a message. You say, we're not going to deal with this. Fuck you. Um, but if this is it, then it's a little bit of a half measure. And I don't know if half measures are going to get us to any sort of resolution. Like you could do this and you could come, you could go on primetime TV and you could say, I call on all nations to end the bloodshed in Syria. And then you could just lob 59 cruise missiles and then go back to bombing ISIS. And then meanwhile, the bloodshed just continues indefinitely. So to me, it's like, what do you really what is the really like what is the long term goal here? Because what it sounds like to me is you're just putting band-aids on things and you're just trying to, you know, make power grabs here and there, but it's not really achieving anything because what does this mean? Okay, Bashar al-Assad doesn't use chemical weapons again. Sure, fine. So he just bombs the hell out of people with conventional weapons. Man, kids die. So people right. continue dying just not with chemical weapons. What the fuck are we talking about here? This is like the definition of fucking crazy. Mm. Like <laughs> On our part, it's like we are just somehow convincing ourselves that just because he didn't use chemical weapons, that the death of a kid from a chemical weapon is more significant than a death of a kid from a fucking bomb. Right. And, and you know, one of that's one all of we're the, saying. So that 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 person that I was telling you about earlier that had written that thing about the gas spewed gases or whatever. Um, yeah. Her her point was, what is the difference between. You know, the fact that there was uh, chemical weapons used versus um, them just dropping a bomb and killing a bunch of kids, you know, in a hospital. And, 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 you know, I can't argue with that. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely true. You know, maybe, you know, I I told her, I'm like (laughs) joking around. I mean, this is, this is serious shit to joke around about, but, you know, joking around, I'm like, well, honestly, if I had to choose, I'd rather be, you know, blown to bits in a second rather than endure you know, a, a chemical Some poisoning, sort of, but yeah, but yeah. you know, but regardless, you know, the ends, um, you know, are the same. People die, people are getting killed and 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 terrorized. I, and, our but, choice is pretty clear. Do we want to have a Syria where the conflict is not only terrorism and a state actor possibly using chemical weapons or just general munitions, or do we want a situation where it's just, uh, you know, an indigenous? populace fighting against Islamic terrorism. Mm. Now, think about this strategically for us. Would we rather and, you know, granted, this is not working out well well in Libya, so this is this is probably a bad example, but it's only because we probably mishandled Libya to, to the extent that we did. But I would much rather be fighting ISIS post-Bashar al-Assad with almost the, the country united against ISIS as opposed to Bashar al-Assad still being in the picture, ISIS, al-Nusra Front, Free Syrian Army, and then the whole complex situation we're talking about. So if you eliminate the Syrian regime, you go back to our diagram there, you could just delete them, right? Let's delete them. I mean, obviously, you'll have remnants, but if you look at Saddam Hussein's loyalists, they didn't last very long there. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, I don't know, I I think it's just madness. It's like, 
you ha- we have the ability, whether it's the international community or the United States of America, to take out Bashar al-Assad probably swiftly. Mm. So do it. Do it and then fight ISIS. Because right. then we can, everyone can just focus on ISIS, right? Well, right, right now they're they're looking at us as you know aiding in ISIS uh, continuing what they're doing. You know, like yeah, you know, well, almost, almost like we're we're procrastinating their you know that issue and focusing on something completely different that may or may not even be you know a huge issue in the in the international eye you know which yeah and if and if you think about russia in this situation if you if you go all out against Bashar al-assad uh you know russia might have no other choice but to say listen we'll maybe we'll arm you and stuff but we're not going to be able to stay in there because we're going to lose people and or, or whatever like russia i don't think will go toe-to-toe with us so we we could probably take out Bashar pretty easy and then when Bashar is out we could say to Russia well you were fighting ISIS then now get real let's fight ISIS together or something like that mm-hmm. right and you could even almost just throw it back in Russia's face and say hey man you you were you said you were bombing ISIS because you didn't like terrorism too well sorry we took care of business with Bashar and we still have ISIS on the table well you know put your money where your mouth is let's get ISIS then right mm-hmm. I mean do you I think mean, that's part know. of the actual long-term strategy? No, I don't, I don't think I don't think anyone has thought about it that deeply. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really don't. I don't think Barack Obama did. I don't think Trump did. I think everyone is just. I I, I don't know if it was you or Rich who talked about it earlier. Just worried about getting voted in again, right? So no one is willing to put their neck out of line and say, "Here's a definitive fucking policy on Syria." Bashar right. al-Assad has to go. Bashar al-Assad has to stay. I don't care what it is. Right. Give me a goddamn policy. I don't I don't. You could say my policy is to just crack open a beer in the middle of Palmyra, Syria, and just sit there and shoot off, you know, fireworks at 12 o'clock at night. Right. Fine. That's a goddamn policy. (laughs) You're awesome. My vote's for you. Right. Give me a damn. What is this? What is going on? It's like, well, I mean, these chemical weapons, let's blow them up. Fuck, but, fuck the airfield. We'll just blow up a couple hangars to save 59 cruise missiles and say we did something. You know what? They didn't do shit. Syria was still launching planes today from that yeah. airfield. Yes. Yep. What did we fucking do? That's not yeah. even a half measure. You know what that is? That's I'm, that's that's I spit on someone. That, well, what and is that, spitting and on someone? But Dude, that, nothing. that brings it down to. All right. So so basically, you know, and how do you really feel, Joe? No, <laughs> basically, <laughs> when, when you know, when you're looking at this, it's a very fluid you know, situation, right? And always is. This isn't, you know, anything new. The, the, these situations move fast. Everything's very fluid. Um, to me, you know, because of what you just said, the fact that there were still flying planes out, right? It, it, this, to me, that's why it, it seems like it's more of a statement than anything else, yeah. than any long-term plan. It's more of a statement of, hey, look, we're, we are serious, period. You know, like, like, so, you know, you know what it we, is, though? we, we it will mean, do something. I mean, I mean, but but where where does that line get drawn? I mean, like, look at I mean, God, I mean, we, we have situations in our history that were basically us putting our foot down and they were catastrophes and, you know, are still talked about in the history books today. You know, where is that line? You know, maybe this was just a small, uh, you know, foot down you know, look, you know, we're, we're going to make a stance and, and, and show people that we will do something, whether or not that's actually the, the long-term strategy or not, you know? Yeah. But I mean, we're, we're, then 
where where does that put us today? Mm-hmm. I mean, we are now we are just where we were three days ago. Yes. With just 80 more dead people. And then next time they use chemical weapons, if they do that, then what do we do? Okay, we'll just we'll actually, we'll, maybe we'll take out more of an airfield. Well, I like, think at that <laughs> point, it's like you gave them the warning. You know what I mean? You gave them the, the quick jab and and said, you know, hey, back off of that shit. Don't do that again. And, you know, if it happens again, hey, look, if you didn't think we were serious before, now we're serious. And I, I think that gives a, a look to the, you know, or even a nod to the rest of these countries that are involved to say, like, hey, look, you know, we gave a quick jab just as a warning, like a warning bite, you know, and if you do it again, you know, that would be the third strike. You're out. You know what I mean? Then then shit gets real. And, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, again, it's it's a little bit more fluid and complex than that, though. But um, and, and, you know, I keep going back. My, my brain keeps going back to the fact of is Trump even uh, <laughs> competent enough, I guess, in this in this stage, I guess, uh, to make those kind of realizations and those kind of, you know, long-term strategies. I I, I just think that when you're talking about a situation and a country being Syria, that you could easily overpower and win in a conflict. Mm -hmm. You do not need strategic surprise. You don't need it. You you could literally broadcast what you're going to do 48 hours in advance, and they could take every precaution that they have, and you will still win, right? Right. You, you could broadcast it months in advance, and you're still win because that's the type of power we have. That I don't understand why, like, why can't we have this open strategy? Like, this concept of no, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm, I'm just going to. Brutality, like I'm just gonna kind of send. I'm just gonna throw jabs and uppercuts here and there, and maybe occasionally do throw a kick in there when in reaction reactionary mode to things that they do. What does that achieve other than saying I don't want to tell you what my strategy is? Other than is don't cross that line, right. because if you cross that line, I'm gonna get you. Like, right? But that's my strategy, man. No, what is your strategy? What, tell me what you're. I don't care. Like. But you, it doesn't matter what we tell Bashar al-Assad. He has, doesn't stand a chance with Russia on his side or not, because Russia's not going to put Russia's not going to risk a nuclear war over Syria. That's the bottom right. line. They're not going to. It's strategic for them. It's it's a great skirmish situation for them to influence, to assert some power and maybe get some power grabs here and there. But it, the reality is the only power they're going to get is the power we allow them to get. So if we sit here and we just willy nilly about this and we just let Syria do what they want and we just, you know, what is 59 cruise missiles? That, and, you know, that means nothing. It really means nothing. They're flying planes out of that same place. Right. So, right. you know, what is it? It means nothing. If the president said tomorrow to Russia that we were going to attack them. If, if we told Russia tomorrow, we are going to attack you in a preemptive strike, I would say that was the worst possible fucking decision you would ever make. Because, why? Because Russia will have a nuclear weapon in the air the minute you say that, right? If you tell Bashar al-Assad, we're going to attack you tomorrow, and I would say, okay, good. Thank you for being definitive, right? Right. <laughs> And then Bashar will be out tomorrow. <laughs> there's no, there's just no like in between. There's no ambiguity there, right? 
So give me a strategy on Russia. That's what all I'm saying. Give me a fucking strategy on Russia. Not Russia, you, I'm sorry, do you, Syria. Do you, <laughs> do you think that <laughs> this strategy will, you know, I don't know, come into light over the next 24 hours? Uh, no. I think it's pure, pure politics for Trump. I think he he's the only thing we're going to hear probably going forward is if Obama had done this earlier, 80 people would be alive today. I think that's what you're going to hear from the Republicans. And you know what? He's right. I mean, he's true. I mean, if he yeah, would have I'm, I'm upheld his threats, I feel like there's he more support there than you know what I mean? I think there's more. I feel like there's more support behind closed doors than uh, just this, you know, quick knee jerk reaction type of thing where then he'll jump back and and blame you know uh obama you know what i mean at the end of the day and piss more people off i mean i don't know then again it's it's trump but well you know, no, it's I mean, trump that's but i mean you know because of the hillary backing and because of you know this bipartisan effort and and all the you know other players that had to do with you know the attack itself you know i'm just kind of curious as to you know Will that and and remember, you know, Trump himself isn't really quite a Republican Republican. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, I'm just curious as to, you know, how this is going to play out in the next 24 hours. Honestly, since 24 hours ago, I feel like there's been a lot more enlightenment out there, um, at least in the media um, than there was, you know, when this stuff was just happening. You know, I'm kind of curious to see what comes out as the dust settles if you will you know well we'll realize that when you when you hear bipartisan support there's there's a lot of core trump supporters who are not happy with this mm-hmm. and then and then if you think about the democratic supporters on capitol hill they they, they voice their support but in the same breath they go he should have gotten congress approval so they're voicing support, but then they're still dissenting from him. Sure. So it's all politics, man. It's it, it, it's there's nothing definitive that happened. Let's be real. You 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 blow up parts of this airfield that's still very functional because they're using it today. You say it's in retaliation to a chemical attack, which is justifiably you know honorable and it makes sense. Uh, and actually, I support that part of it in particular. But then. Tomorrow's going to come and go. We're not going to do anything else. Still, no one knows the real strategy in Syria. And the Democrats are just going to say, why didn't you get con- Congress approval? The you know the Freedom Caucus is going to go, why are we inter- engaging internationally and, and you know spending money and that type of stuff when we need it at home? And, you know, and we're just going to be back to a week ago. And there'll, there'll probably be another chemical weapons attack or there'll be continued death in Syria. So really quick, on, on that note, okay, so with everything that, that yeah. transpired over the past, you know, 24, 36 hours, okay, do you think that, you know, with what happened with Syria and with the chemical weapons attack, do you think that moving forward what we did – as far as the airstrikes would be a deterrent moving forward at all for something like that to happen I mean, again. I mean, well, apparently they're already, uh, they're doing airstrikes from the airstrip that we bombed. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even didn't deter anybody con- too much. I'm not even 100% convinced that they even did the chemical attack. I mean, 
Well, there, there's there, still, that's there still is, up in the air, right? I mean, like, yeah, we, we that, and that's another thing I had on my little notes was how we made a very quick decision here. And and listen, I don't even want to sit here and make it sound like I'm criticizing it. I'm actually fine with it, just because regardless, there's an optic here, and you need to kind of go with the optic as much as I fucking hate the optics in some cases, but uh, I'm fine with the optic on this one, uh, but I'm not 100% convinced that it was on purpose or even really happened. Uh, you know, at this point, it's just not a, a ton of NGOs saying, oh yeah, shit happened. Now there are a few things that happened that uh, Bashar did that kind of made you think about it a little bit more, like how he bombed the, the hospital Mm -hmm. (laughs) that apparently was treating people. Why would you bomb the hospital? Because you're trying to hide it a little bit. Right. So, uh, it also might speak to the possibility that there's some rogue, uh, you know, things going on in his own military too. Uh, That's true. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of things. Is it really a deterrent? There was a reason why there were flying planes out of that airfield today. They're sending a message back. Like they're sending a message by saying, and it, it, Russia had a presence there too, so mm-hmm. presumably the operations of that of that airfield is you know you know going down with either Russian support in some way, shape, or form, or Russian directly doing things at that airfield. So the fact that they're throwing planes up out of the out of there today is is just a way of them saying we know this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Russia, I think, uh, released a bunch of ISR. So they had uh, drone footage that they, I think RT uh, aired showing the quote unquote damage. And they were framing it like there wasn't much damage at all. Right. And they're like, oh, look at all these hangars that are still intact. And they were all <laughs> largely intact. It's like if you really listen, I could go on to Google and find the hangars of some of their fighter jets because it's really obvious. And our cruise missiles didn't. Blow them to, you know, to hell, right? And again, you know? it brings it back down to the, you know, the intent was the intent a statement. You know, I mean, you know, if it was if it was anything more than a statement, there would have been total devastation, right? Well, well, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, is a half measure a statement? I mean, but and what's a half measure? I, I mean, is a statement effective when when the the entity that you're trying to make a statement against just continues to do what they're doing well, that kind of, almost that literally kind of the day before. Back, that kind of brings me back to the competency of Trump, though. You know, as as the you know, mm-hmm. end all sale making this measure happen. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in his eyes, um, and you know, this is this is not downing him or or not downing uh-huh. him, but you know, we, we know that he uh reacts in an egotistical way right um yeah to him this might have been a big statement that he's making and and quite possibly a wake-up call that hey (laughs) you can't do that kind of stuff you know what i mean like you know other things prevail and it's either go big or go home kind of stuff you know what i mean like you know you got to really be behind what you're doing and have a real good reason for it moving forward you know that's i mean it's true i mean I don't know. I think he did what he felt was you know necessary at the time, and I don't think he was completely wrong in doing it. I think where we know for sure whether he was right or wrong is how he follows through. Right. And exactly. 
I think he hinted at it with his speech. I think he said he call he's calling on the international community to stop the bloodshed. So he, in, in many ways, he's trying to say, I mean, and maybe he's making do on his promise of you know we're not going to pay pay for everything in the world and we're not going to be the world's police um, by saying hey we did this now international community we we made that first move now now move with us or make the next move right so right um, you know I think it's fair to say he's putting the ball in the international community's court and we'll see what happens next but. What I still want to hear out of him, maybe that strategy, right? Like say, mm-hmm. hey, we we made that move. There was a chemical attack. We were the, we are the world's you know premier power. We have we have the skills and abilities and and uh, the actual munitions to be able to do this. So we did it uh, under some sort of moral responsibility. Now the rest of the world needs to step up and show their moral responsibility in this and. Mm-hmm. You know, put their money and their 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 manpower and their people where their mouth is, and we're not just going to be the only ones to toe this line. That to me is a coherent strategy. If he's he obviously said, let's stop the bloodshed in Syria. So how do you stop the bloodshed in Syria? You need to stop the civil war. How do you stop the civil war? Well, you got to take sides, or you need to put people on the ground and break in and put a buffer Mm -hmm. in between the sides, right? right? So. That's it. Maybe that that's what he's saying. That's what we need to do right now. I I don't think he's going to do it by himself. Like, I don't think he's going to go, let's do it. U.S. boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to do that because that kind of, that should fly in the face of a lot of the things he stands for right. in terms of like, you know, oh, oh you know, NATO's got to, you know, tow their fair share. And, you know, we send all this money overseas and, you know, all these, you know, we're going to start taxing imports and, you know, this whole protectionist thing, right. That, that doesn't drive with that right at all. So, you know, when you when you when you think about, you know, things in the past that were said about, you know, Germany not paying their bill and, you know, things like this, like, do you think this is his way of calling out the international community of saying like, hey, yeah, you know, let's 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 step it up. Are you guys with us or what? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think he, a, he made the first move and now he's saying the next moves on you international community, Europe in particular, probably. But. Uh, you know, anyone in the world, really. <laughs> Sweat equity for Germany for the other point eight percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really just. Uh, I mean, it, it's just an it's really an annoying situation because the Syrian conflict is causing a ton of headaches, man. I mean, when you're talking about ISIS and you're talking about <clears throat> chemical weapons being used and things like that, it's like, you know, if this this is what bugs me. The international community just seems like they need to all be involved in this shit. You saw that diagram. Everyone wants to be involved, right? And because whatever damn reason, most of the European countries and ourselves are involved because they want to say there's some sort of humanitarian thing that needs to be involved in, right? But it's like, but what it amounts to is the prolonging of something that probably just needs to be done. And what that is, is civil war, like a real civil war, not like, hey, we're just going to have these players come in and try to like break broker this civil war like no let them just fucking do it right. like <laughs> like it maybe they just up need to it. this point though no because you have everyone else mingling in there everyone taking their half measures everyone be pro- trying to even the playing field well we want this you know dictator to be even with the free syrian army so you're saying everybody syrian- needs to just pull out and leave them alone and this is the all in all out strategy yeah. concept, right? right? It goes to that half measure of a thing, right? Half measures don't get us anywhere. Yeah. 
It just prolongs the inevitable. Like when we went into Iraq the first time, what did we do? Nothing. We just we didn't go to Baghdad. Saddam Hussein stayed in place, right? Mm-hmm. We went in a second time. We took Saddam Hussein out. We that was easy. We you know had the Arab Spring, well, not the Arab Spring. I'm sorry, the Sunni Enlightenment and uh, this is no the Sunni Awakening, and we started being able to make inroads with the insurgents, and things started to go on up and up. Where I'm talking 2010 to 2000, like. I'm sorry, 2008, 2011, I think it was. And then we, then Barack Obama, you know, implements his draw strategy and everything goes to shit. <laughs> ISIS spawns and everything goes to shit. So these are all like half measures. And it's fair to say, well, what's the end? Like if you're all in, what's the ends, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you have to have a clear goal. If your ends are to get rid of Saddam Hussein, when Saddam Hussein's gone, you're gone. Right. Otherwise, you stay there and there's an insurgency. Now you have to come up with a new goal. What's your new goal? Defeat the insurgency. So stay in there until you defeat the insurgency. If you don't defeat the insurgency and you leave, the insurgency is going to continue. And you know what happens when a insurgency continues? You have ISIS. Mm. Yeah. And then ISIS spreads to Syria. Syria goes into civil war. Now spring happens and shit goes down, right? So this is the whole point of having full measures and having clear goals. Very it's well not said, just yeah, all in. Good. Let's nuclear, you know, drop bombs and level the fucking place and make it a, 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 you know, a parking lot. That's not what I mean by all. And it's it's having a strategy, it's having a goal, and following and through with fully it. Executing we don't that, yep. have that. We've never had that. We don't have it. We had it with Saddam Hussein, and then we stuck there and we stayed there. Mm-hmm. We should have. You know, fine. Maybe there's a certain amount of civil things we need to do in terms of infrastructure, sure. But it should have been the strategy from the start that we took Saddam Hussein out and that we'd hand it over to the Iraqis and the, the new emerging leaders and we go, we're going to leave. It's up to you to rebuild. We Maybe we'll even help you financially in the background or something or maybe advise you or something like that. But we're, we're going to withdraw. The withdrawal should have happened at that point, not a surge to go after insurgencies and then a withdrawal halfway through that operation. Right. Right, right. That's the, another half measure. So you went the full measure, you started another measure and you only went halfway right. and you left. And then which, ISIS which kind of makes the first full measure, you know, obsolete, obsolete. Right. It's a, what, the, what at this point we're now, it's just a fucking chaotic place. So what have you really achieved besides making a failed state almost? I mean, we did it with Libya. We we jumped in with NATO and we said, hey, we're going to take out Gaddafi. I don't even know if it was NATO, actually, to tell you the truth. I think it was NATO. And we bombed the shit out of Gaddafi's forces to in support of the rebels. And Gaddafi fell. His, his people fell. And we stopped. And now they have, you know, and now they have a, a civil war going on. Right. So, you know, maybe maybe actually Libya was the better strategy if you think about it. <laughs> I was just going to say, isn't this what we just said? Because <laughs> Syria, because I think, well, think about, think about uh, ISIL. And so, so the worst that could come out of Libya for us right now is some sort of radical international terrorist organization, whether it's Al-Qaeda or an ISIS-like organization that, that occupies and thrives and creates uh, more people to go overseas and conduct attacks. Well, you Yes, we're seeing an increased, uh, you know, amount of attacks being planned from North Africa. That's being done. It's happening because there is a lot of chaos. But what we're not seeing is we're not seeing Syria and Iraq in Libya. We're seeing 
Libya has a pretty large opposition group to ISIS. So ISIS is present in Libya. So in that regard, you could say there is that failure of a state did foster some sort of ISIS presence. But but I, there there is tribal militias and things. There is a large opposition, uh, uh, you know, populace against ISIS in Libya, mm. and you know, maybe when we're talking about this in thirty, twenty, four, you know, whatever, thirty, forty, fifty years from now, we might go, "Wow, Libya was the better strategy because right. we actually had a goal, we achieved it, and we left." Or we didn't actually, we never occupied well, Libya. But. I guess until we see what the conclusion is, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from yeah. now, we'll, we'll never know the answer to that. We could potentially be see, talking about Libya as being, you know, this resurgent uh, country under a new, you know, whatever, you know, the civil war, a civil war ends and, and you know, cooler heads prevail and then some sort of coherent, you know, country evolves. And, you know, we could be talking about them being, you know, some sort of, stable economy down the line, whereas if all these half measures has completely prolonged the Syrian thing, where we could be talking about a Syrian civil war 15, 30 years from now. I yeah. mean, like, because because we're just kind of, we're just going to dip in every once in a while and even the playing field. And so it's like, this, well, no this one's going to win. This segment was called Joe's International and Counterterrorism uh, Rant. Rant strategy aka whatever i just want a strategy man i just want a fucking strategy we don't need strategic surprise trump i know you're listening to our podcast because you told me that you listened to this podcast he's our fourth listener in fact. he's our fourth listener we just need a strategy we don't need strategic surprise this is not pearl harbor this is not d-day this is not any of the world wars right this is some Pansy ass fucking regime in the Middle East that means shit to anyone besides maybe Russia, <laughs> right? They don't stand a fucking chance. Tell them what you want to do. Yeah. Because you know why? Because you can. Right. Tell them, Joe and Trump. There's no other country in the world that could do that. There's no other country in the world that could tell their their foes what they're planning to do and still overwhelmingly win. Right. And, you know, do it. You know why? Because you're going to win politically, you're going to win militarily, you're going to win all around if you do that. By the way, in in other news, well well said, yes. Joe, by the way. Yes. Um is Rich still here? I don't even know her. Yes. I think Rich, I think Rich passed out for a few minutes. Fall asleep. I'm here. Richard. Hello, hello. Richard, oh, I'm so happy. Hold me. Yikes! Don't run away from your feelings. <laughs> well, anyway. Como se llama? Antonio Montana. So anyway, I think uh, I think that's a good stopping point. Um, you know, some very good insight, Joe. Thank you very much. By the way, I I I, I hope you don't mind, but I definitely wanted to Ooh. I definitely wanted to let you talk a little bit, uh, especially with your your vast knowledge with uh, with uh, international affairs. So it's very good. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a I dedicate this song to Rich. Oh yeah. 
everybody. That was so episode Rich, nine. Can, can you can you give me give me a little bit of um, what's it called slam rap or uh, I'm sorry. Uh, is he is he actually gone? Yeah. Rich, are you there, Rich? Hello, Richard. Richard, can you rap for us a little bit? If I give you a beat, can you rap? Um, probably not at all. Be- I mean, I, I can try. Here's a beat for you. Go. I like China. I like kitties. I like things on top of my titties. <laughs> Very good. Very there good. you go. There you go. Oh, yeah. This reminds me of, like, Super Nintendo or something. <laughs> Alright, I think we've overstayed our welcome, guys. Podcast without a name, episode number nine. Everybody drive safe. Anyway, okay, uh, episode number number, number number nine is complete. We tried the broadcast on Facebook and YouTube, which ended in complete failure. We will try again. Beginners, whatever you want to call it, is still happening. You can find us on Twitter at... At No Name Podcaster, and you can find us on Facebook at Podcast Without a Name. You can find us on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, <laughs> so, uh, everywhere, right? Everywhere. We're everywhere. Um, Maybe just everywhere. And we also, we also have a website, podcastwithoutaname.com. Uh, check that out that just has kind of like our show notes and stuff like that and we'll maybe have some more things come up on there later please uh, send us some messages chat us up comment we'd love to kind of consider your opinions and we can talk about it on a podcast uh, Rich is sleeping Rich you have anything to say? not at all I was never sleeping you guys were just talking so much I couldn't get in <laughs> well I, I, do have, I do have some final words here Yes. I not only want to say good night to you guys and to our our listeners, I want to say good night world. <laughs> God bless America and God bless the world. All right everybody, have a good God one. God bless the world. See you on the next one guys. <laughs>